Let's pray together. Father, the psalmist wrote, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. And that is our prayer this morning, Father, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see and hear and understand and cherish and live your word. Amen. Today we're going to read from the book of Luke, chapter 15, starting at verse 11 and going all the way through to the end of the chapter. This is the parable of the lost son. If you want to follow along and you don't have your own Bible with you and you're seated in this sanctuary right now, you can find a Bible that looks just like this, hopefully right in front of you. And this passage is on page 898 in that Bible. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad 
because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. A 23-year-old man from Missouri named Mike is hanging out with his friend one evening and they hatch up a plan to make some money and to make some money real quick. So they go to the local bank and they stake it out. They know this is the place where people come from the local retail establishments and make those night deposits. And when the employee from the local Burger King comes, they rob him at gunpoint and they walk away with a few thousand dollars. And Mike and his friend are identified and they're arrested and they're brought in and tried, and, and Mike is facing a 13-year prison sentence. And they send him home, and they say, wait on word as to when to report, uh, as to where and when you're going to begin serving your time. So Mike goes home, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and the call never comes. And no one comes and knocks on his door. So he's supposed to be right now behind bars, thinking about the poor decisions that he's made in his life, but instead he's out there, living his life. So what does he do? He's gotten away with one crime. Maybe he thinks, maybe we could do that again. Maybe we could get into some mischief and make a little bit more money. Or maybe he starts to hide from the law, go underground a little bit, change his appearance, maybe change his name. In this process, while Mike is waiting, he never moved more than two blocks from the address where he lived at the time where he was arrested which might make him the worst fugitive of all time. But here's what he did. He became a master carpenter. He started his own construction business. He started volunteering at the local church. He began coaching youth football. He got married. He had a family and by all accounts was a, a model citizen in his community. And then 13 years goes by and the state begins to process the paperwork to release Mike from prison, but he's not there. They forgot to come get him. And they show up at his doorstep and they bring him in and he does spend about a year in jail while they try to figure out how to sort out all of this mess. So he comes before the judge and the judge in a hearing that lasts all of about 10 minutes says this to Mike. He says, you're a good man, you're a changed man, and that makes a huge difference in my decision today. You're not the man that you were 14 years ago, and I believe that continuing to incarcerate you serves no purpose. I think it would unnecessarily punish an obviously rehabilitated man. As such, your sentence will be fully served and satisfied today. Go home to your family. So the question that I want to explore this morning is when does redemption happen? In a story like this or another story with the highs and lows or maybe your own personal redemption or your own personal story, what is that moment of redemption? At what point in this story does redemption find Mike? Is it that moment where the judge says you're free to go home? Did redemption happen because he built the business? And he volunteered at the church and with the football team and developed this good family and this good position in the community? Was it because thousands of people signed a petition that said, Mike today is not the Mike 
of 14 years ago? Did he earn it? Was it an accumulation of his good works and his changed lifestyle? Was that the ticket to redemption? Was the true moment of redemption perhaps sometimes in those days or weeks where the call never came and no one knocked on his door and he recognized the need to change his life and move things in a different direction? This morning's passage, the parable of the lost son, is is a very familiar one to many of us, and there's a lot of elements in that story that we could explore, and there's a lot of questions that we could ask, but the question that I want to ask today is the same one as we asked in the previous story. When does redemption find the lost son? At the beginning of the story, he runs away from home. He asks his father for his inheritance, which is a huge slap in the face. He's basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead, give me my money. It's not one of those, I want to go explore the world outside of the farm and see what else is out there. He's telling dad, I'm done. I'm out of here and I'm not coming back. So he takes his money and he runs far and fast. And if you look at verse 13, it says he squandered his wealth in wild living. And that's what prodigal means if you're familiar with the alternate title of this story, the prodigal son. Prodigal means spending money or blowing resources freely and extravagantly, being reckless and wasteful. The title in many of our Bibles is The Lost Son. It connects to the two previous stories in the chapter of the lost sheep and the lost coin. The prodigal son is not lost in the sense that he's missing, but his behavior shows that he is lost. He wants to break free from his father. He's done living under that roof and following those rules. He wants to go live his life in his own way. Have you had some of those moments? Maybe you're tired of following the house rules or you get bored by your circumstances or the environment that you're in and you decide it's time to break free. It's time to make some of my own decisions. And what do those decisions, what do those actions say to our God, to our Father? Are we saying, thanks but no thanks? Maybe we stray just a little bit. Maybe we stray a little and that gap gets wider and wider and we get farther and farther away from Him. And we find ourselves lost in that relationship. Perhaps not to the extent of of being prodigal or completely lost, but does it really matter if it's just a little bit or if it's a lot. And where does that attitude ultimately get the lost son? He spends all the money, the wild living, he runs out of resources, and then a famine hits the land, and he's in big trouble. We heard it read, he ends up with the pigs. And it's not that he's just gone from here to here, and now he happens to be working with the pigs. You see in the text, he's jealous of the pigs. He looks at what they're eating, and he longs to fill his stomach with those pods that the pigs are eating. That's a pretty low point, right? He is hungry, he is lost, he is at the bottom. And we like a good redemption story, don't we? Right? You watch a movie and and you see somebody who's down and out and finally they find this, this way to pull themselves back up. Or someone has a string of bad luck and finally they get that break that they need. If you're a sports fan, you love the story where the overmatched team that has no business winning anything finds a way to to conquer the Goliath on the sporting field, right? 
or the irredeemable bad guy in the superhero movie finally sees a little bit of light and he turns to the good side. Why do we love those happy endings? We like those character arcs where they land in a much better place. I've watched a number of movies in in recent years that document uh, famous musicians. And a lot of times we see someone who has a big dream and they have a, a poor circumstances or all these obstacles that they need to get over, but somehow they rise to the top. And then they get there and they have access to things they never had access to before. Or they start getting a little bit full of themselves and they start making bad decisions and it all comes crashing down. And typically, either on their way to the top or on their way back down to the bottom, they burn a lot of bridges and they damage a lot of relationships. And like the lost son, they find themselves at the bottom and they find themselves all alone. Most of all, in those stories or or similar stories you may have read or, or seen in the movies, They find a way to do it personally, right? They find that inner strength or or that way to go out there and do it all on their own and find their way back to the top. A little less often, you'll see them come crawling back to the people that they need, maybe the people that helped them get to where they once were or the people that supported them in that journey, and they need to come crawling back and ask for forgiveness. They need help in redeeming what is lost. So as you read the parable of the lost son, are you wanting him to get what's coming to him because of the poor decisions that he's made, or do we also root for him to find some sort of redemption? We know how it ends. We get the hug, we get the feast, we get the celebration, and maybe we like those kinds of stories because we feel the weight of some of our own poor decisions and some of the distance that we have between our God or others that we love, and we're rooting for someone else to win to show us that's possible. In a literary sense, we want that happily ever after. So the same question, what was the moment of redemption for the lost son? Was he redeemed when his father said to him, like the judge in the first story, it's time to go back to your family? Is he worthy now? We don't read about any witnesses to his changed behavior. There's not a petition that says the guy that ran off years ago is not the same son. He has changed. In fact, him coming back home feels a little bit like a last resort. He found himself where he was. He has no choice but to run back to his father and try to capture a little bit of what he once had. He realizes his mistakes. He sees where he's found himself. And he's got to go back. What about his brother at the end of the story? He's not too keen about this celebration that his brother is receiving. I'm guessing he doubts that there's been much of a change of heart. We also see that he's frustrated because he's been following the rules. He's been doing what dad asked him to do. He's been working on the farm and he got nothing in his eyes and certainly not what his brother is receiving. The brother didn't witness that turning point that we see in verses 17 through 19. We read there that he came to his senses. He recognizes what his life has become apart from the life that he had when he was with his father. He also makes a decision at that point that he's going to humble himself. And he's not going to go back to his father and ask for the position that he had before in the family. He just wants to get back on the property. 
He's going to ask his dad to make him a hired hand. He's going to try to get his feet back underneath him a little bit. The thing about parables is we often don't get to hear the end of the story. We're left to wonder how that story really ends. Did the lost son, after the return and after restoration to the family, did he keep things in that way? Did he stay committed to his father or, once things were okay again, did he run off again? Did he ever prove to his brother that he was a changed man? And things were different now. Those are the types of things that we need to absorb from this parable. And we need to think about also what that story means to us and to our life. And that wider story of the Bible that points us to Jesus. That low moment with the pigs is a turning point. But we don't get to the celebration. And we don't get to the redemption without that moment of truth where he decides things need to change. That was necessary. He needed to recognize that he needed to restore those relationships, that he needed to go back and have this reunion with his father. And the unworthy sinner returns home, and we see in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, the father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The father was waiting for this moment. And while his son is in the midst of this prepared confession that we read about earlier in the text, his father's already moving on. He's ready to throw this feast. His mistakes were forgiven before he could even get that full confession out of his mouth. Because the father was so anxious to restore him to that right relationship in the family. If you look at the stories earlier in Luke 15... When we have this relationship with our Heavenly Father or these other ideas of things that are lost, there's a lot of celebration going on in that chapter. The shepherd loves the 99 sheep, but when the one goes missing, he goes out and he finds it, and when he does, heaven rejoices. You've got the woman with nine coins in her hand, but she scours the house and she seeks out the one that is missing. And in the same way, when one lost soul is brought back into the fold, angels rejoice. In the presence of heaven, in the presence of the angels, there is celebration. Because God places a high value on things that are lost. Even those who willfully disobey him and have chosen to run away. So like the lost son's father... God awaits with his eyes on the horizon. He's looking for those who are just a little bit lost or maybe those who are clawing their way back from that low, low point. And his love is not earned when all of the behavior has been restored. We don't have to get back all the way to the top before he loves us again. His love precedes the confession. And it's given to us in the valley when we recognize our need to climb out of where we are and to climb out with him. And we recognize that on our own we are powerless and we are sinful. Romans 5, 6 and 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for, this, for us in this. While we were still sinners... 
stuck in the pig pen, deep in the valley, clinging to the end of our rope, wherever we are, short or long distance for him, Christ died for us. And the restoration of the relationship is complete and immediate for anyone who would call on him as their Lord and recognize the error of their ways. That celebration is already prepared. He redeems those who are sick with sin for a greater purpose, and the debt is already paid in full to secure our freedom for a much better ending. And redemption is waiting, but God just doesn't stand idly by and wait for it. I shared these words from Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies with our students on New Year's Eve, and it says this, He is relentlessly working to change you into all that his grace makes possible for you to be. God's work in you is a process. It's not an event. It's 10,000 little moments of change. He is relentless. He is transforming you in little moment grace. And that's what God does. When we're a short distance away or far away, he is working to move closer to us and to move us closer to him. And that realization that it's time. It's time to run back to him. So in the first week of the new year, resolutions for better life choices are very popular. And we do these things often because we recognize in our own lives a need to redeem something that maybe is not what it once was. Or maybe we recognize there's something in our life that's never been quite what it needs to be and we resolve to go out there and do better in those areas. We resolve to improve our health. We resolve to, to kick a bad habit or to manage our time or our money or our priorities and our relationships better than we've done in the previous year. And psychologists will tell you that New Year's Day is a good time to do that. If we have these anchor events like New Year's Day, or maybe you hit a birthday and you decide it's time to do something different, or some other significant date on your calendar, these milestones could be good mental turning points. And they will also tell you that redemption stories are much easier when you have help and you have support. So how does the parable of the lost son speak to you this morning? Do you have something that you need to run back to the Father with? Is there a piece of your life that is in need of redemption? Something and some place where you need to hit the reset button and restore that critical relationship. Maybe today all you need is a reminder that the Father is waiting and that he is ready to celebrate with those who come home, and he's there with open arms. And I think it's something not to think about just for ourselves, but as a, a church and a faith community, what could that mean for us? What could that mean for Christians as a whole in the new year? How can we open ourselves up to some of that needed restoration? And how can we let God use us to redeem the lost? We live in a broken and hurting world, and it needs the Father. We need to call upon Him, and we know that that is true. And we, like the Father in the story, need to be full of compassion. And we need to be running to the lost while they are still a long ways off. 
We need to let him redeem what needs to be redeemed in our lives. And then consider one final question. What happens in the next chapter of your story? Let us pray. Lord, we know you are gracious. We know that often, whether it's in small or little ways, we we turn from you. And that gap can widen. There's a separation between who we are and who you have called us to be in our personal lives and, and in the commission that we've been given to go and make disciples of all nations. As we move into a new year and we consider for ourselves in our own personal habits, in our own personal relationships, in the work that we do as, as people of this church, as we consider what it is that we need to do better and what it is that we could do in better ways to represent you, I, I ask that that would be a, a lasting conviction, that it would not be something that burned brightly for a short time, but something that we are, are committed to. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for the happy ending that our story can be if we will lean into what it is that you have prepared for us. May we represent you. May we live in your image. And may we declare your love and your compassion to all the world. Amen.